Today we are kicking off a brand new series called Triggers, and normally it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but something set you off, something triggered an emotion or a feeling, something, something snapped, something changed, and maybe even after that situation you wondered, well, why was that such a big deal? Triggers are something that we all experience. Uh, this person doesn't bother me, but oh my goodness, if I get around that person, it can set me off. This situation, no big deal. Oh my goodness, if I, if I find out this information or somebody tells me this, something totally different. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this powerful, powerful series and topic, overcoming triggers in our lives, overcoming the things that set us off. And, and I think that you can probably divide triggers into three main categories. And uh, those, those three main categories are people, money, and stress. I, I call it the PMS of, <laughs> of triggers, people, money, and stress. So everybody has a little bit of PMS, but we all get set off different ways. Today, I want to talk about that second one, money, because truly one of the great triggers is money in our lives. Money can trigger things in us that we didn't even know existed. And you know, money's a funny thing because because if you have money, you worry about keeping the money. And if you don't have money, you worry about trying to get money. And if you're somewhere in between, you worry about both. <laughs> All of us today, regardless of our financial standing, struggle with feeling, do I have enough? Am I going to be able to keep what I've got? Is, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? And many times the result of that is fear. Sometimes it's guilt because maybe we spent money on things that we wish we would not have at a later time. Um, uh, it's anxiety. It's so many other things that come along with this trigger of money. And it's interesting that Jesus had so much to say about this topic. I want us to turn in our Bibles today to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, you can look with your device or your phone uh, or your Bible if you have a hard copy, but we are all triggered by money. I grew up in a family where my dad, who passed away many years ago, would oftentimes spend money and then not tell my mom about it, and then my mom would get the bills in the mail, and it was chaos. Sometimes my dad would say he paid things that he did not pay, <laughs> And, and I just remember like as a teenager and as a kid holding my breath every time we got the mail because we, we kind of never knew what was going to come. And it triggered in me as, as a young boy and as a, as a high school student, like a fear around money that, that was awkward and unusual. And even as I got into adulthood, I, some, sometimes uh, I, I would just struggle with, with the fear of money, even though I managed my finances pretty well. I still had the fear of the money because I grew up around that. Maybe you grew up in a family. Maybe, maybe you faced some things in your own life where it's, it's brought triggers of anxiety and fear about the money. What does God have to say to us about 
this powerful topic? Well, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that money has a spirit on it. And there's actually two spirits. There's the spirit of God and there's the spirit of what the King James Version calls mammon, which is the spirit of money and the spirit of the world. And I want us to look and see what Jesus had to say to us about these these very important issues. And I'm going to give you today, I hope you'll take out your notes and you can follow along with where we're going. Um, three different checks, three different, three different ways to look at your own life, as well as a question that I think reveals the answer to each of those. The first is simply this, there's a heart check. There's a heart check. And to overcome money triggers, we got to have a heart check. And here's the heart check is, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Now, look what Jesus said here in Matthew 6, 19. Don't collect for yourselves <clears throat> treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither money nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says you have at least two bank accounts. You got treasures on earth and you got treasures in heaven. And I love to think about this concept like as a bank account because I know Gina and I have a savings account. We have a checking account. We have a retirement account. But the Bible says there's another account and that's treasures in heaven. And sometimes when we give, we think, well, I'm moving that money out of my account to somebody else's account. But, but Jesus is saying, actually, uh, when we have the spirit of generosity, we, we, we move the account from our account on earth to the account in heaven. Amen? And so there's a heart check that we have to do. The, the, the check is, where's my treasure? Where's the treasure? Now, treasures on earth, Jesus says, are corruptible. They, they rust, they fade away. Uh, in ancient times, people could be wiped out um, by one, one, one robber, one robbery. One person could break in. I mean, they didn't have cameras and motion detectors and, and security systems. And so people didn't have banks. So, you know, people would just kind of keep their stuff. And so people lived with a lot of fear about, about, being able to keep their stuff. But Jesus says this about treasure here on earth. He says that moths and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. In other words, everything we have is corruptible. Everything we have, we cannot take it with us. In fact, there's an old saying, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I mean, we cannot take it with us. <clears throat> um, about a hundred years ago, they found the tomb of King Tut. And King Tup, that Egyptian ruler, uh, had buried in that great pyramid all of his belongings. And he was wealthy. And you know what? All of his stuff is still there. It's in a museum in Cairo. He didn't take it with him. He got a little surprise when he slipped into eternity. Couldn't take it there. <laughs> it, it, it all passed away. And Jesus says one of the reasons that our heart should be on the things of God is because the things that we have on earth will one day pass away. Uh, we cannot take them with us. They're, they're corruptible. They, 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 they are here for a while and they, they don't last forever. And he said, wealth is good, but, but um, 
wealth should not be our master. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But what we don't want to do is let that become the ruler of our life. And so we have to do a little heart check and say, what, what is driving me? Is it the treasure on earth or is it treasure in heaven? Now, if you contrast treasure on earth with treasure in heaven, this is what he says about treasure in heaven. It's solid. It's stable. Uh, we trade what can be lost for what cannot be lost. Jesus is basically saying this is a great investment. I mean, when you have an investment account, you love, you love the investment where the people that are trying to sell that to you are promising you or telling you that you have the greatest likelihood of the greatest result. Amen? That's, that is very appealing to somebody who wants to invest. Jesus is saying this, <clears throat> that when we invest in the things of God, <clears throat> when we invest treasure in heaven, it's not corruptible. And it is something that lasts forever. And we feel like we lose something, but in reality, we really gain it. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about after salvation. Okay, so uh, our, our treasure on earth and our treasure in heaven, that, that, that's not a salvation issue, but it is a discipleship issue. And it's something that God wants us to understand. It really is. It's a heart check. Where is your, where is your treasure? But, but look at the second, the second check. Look at this right here. There's an eye exam. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? He says, there's an eye exam. And that is what is the focus of your life? What is the focus? Is the focus, I got to get all I can get. I got to use all I can on this earth, or is my focus something different? Is it something different? And he said it starts with your vision, with your, with your eyesight. Um, <clears throat> my, eyes, uh, my eye quality has been diminishing a little bit, and um, I was thinking about, I had to go get an eye exam, and I was really nervous because I didn't want the doctor to tell me that I had 2080 vision, so... <laughs> I was talking with my wife about it, who is very smart, by the way. And she said, Ryan, why don't you pull up one of those eye charts online and just memorize it? <laughs> I was like, that's the most genius thing I've ever heard of before. Because it's like a standard test, you know? So <clears throat> I started looking at it and it was like E-F-P-T-O-Z. And then I remembered that I have dyslexia. <laughs> H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. I mean, you know. And I thought, I can't do that because I would get all the letters backwards. They would think I was literally legally blind if I did that because, <clears throat> because I couldn't see. So I don't know. I haven't figured out what to do on that yet. But when it comes to money, a lot of times... Triggers are set off because of our vision. It's what we're looking at. It's what we're not looking at. And when it comes to money, we can be triggered because we look at the size of our problems, but we forget the size of our God. We look at things backwards. In fact, you may have spiritual dyslexia when it comes to your vision because if you're looking at the size of your problems, you're looking at your issue and your situation backwards. God wants you to remember how big and how amazing that he is. 
And I think perhaps one of the greatest things we can begin to do to overcome the triggers of anxiety when it comes to money is to remember that we serve a really big God. I mean, we serve a really big God. And, and God is not surprised by any one thing. God is a great provider, is he not? God is so creative. I mean, I'll tell you, this is why I love to follow the Lord. One of my favorite examples of this is the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 17. Elijah is running from the evil king Ahab and his, his nasty, sinister wife, Jezebel. He's down by a brook. He's hiding out. He's drinking out of the brook. He doesn't have any food. What does God do? He feeds him with ravens. Are you kidding me? Is that incredible or what? Meat and bread is dropped off? I mean, like, he didn't even have to go pick it up. That's incredible. Biblical burgers, amen? Now, he may not have had pickles and lettuce and tomatoes, but he did have sustenance. And then a little bit later, the brook dried up and he went to a widow under the leadership of the Lord. And he said, hey, can you feed me? And she says, well, I hate to break it to you, but we have enough flour and oil for one more meal and we're gonna die, me and my son. I mean, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible right there. You're just like, wow. And Elijah says, feed me first. Now that sounds like one of the most selfish verses in the Bible, but Elijah was right. And you know what happened so beautifully and wonderfully? Every day when the widow woke up, there was oil and there was flour and there was sustenance until the, the great famine ended. God is so amazing. God can provide for you, but we have to get our eyes off of our problems so we can see the bigness and the greatness of God. And maybe the greatest trigger for you when it comes to money may be that your vision is in the wrong place. You're looking at things backwards and you're missing what God wants to say to you. Money is a liar. It tells us that if we have it, we won't have problems. We will feel significant. We will have the answer. People will esteem us and respect us and that all of our problems will go away. But I can tell you, I know a lot of people that have a lot of problems that have a lot of money. And if money itself could fix people, the world would be a lot happier place, wouldn't it? So money alone will not fix people. But I'll tell you what, when our eyes are on the Lord, it sure begins to change the trajectory of our life. So vision question, a vision problem. Do we have that spiritual vision? Uh, do I see my lack or do I see God's abundance? Am I looking with the spiritual eye? Now, let me give you a few verses very quickly that I think can help us to begin to see the things of God more clearly. James 4.2 says, you don't have because you do not ask. So if you're looking at your lack today and you're like, Lord, I really kind of need some help here. Here's the question. Have you really asked God for his provision? Have you asked God for help? It's amazing how many times we can feel very vulnerable and, and very fragile, and yet at the same time, that doesn't translate to prayer. So if you don't have what you feel like that you need, maybe a great beginning is just to say, God, I really need some help, James 4, 2, okay? You have not because you haven't asked. So are we asking God for his provision? My eye 
is on him. My vision is on him. Here's the second verse, Matthew 6, 26. Now this is in the same context of the verses we just read. It's just a couple of verses later. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? I mean, Jesus says, look, if God can take care of the birds, certainly he can take care of you. <laughs> I mean, aren't you more valuable than a flock of pigeons? Yeah, I think so. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Just remember it. Psalm 8110 is one of my new favorite verses. I've been thinking about this. This week, this is awesome. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. <laughs> now, the place of Egypt was the place of bondage. It was the place of slavery. It was the place of oppression. It was the place of lack. It was the place of never enough. God said, you know what? I, I, I set you free from that. I, I brought you up out of Egypt. I brought you into, into the land of promise. He says, now, if I can do that, if I can bring the 10 plagues on the Pharaoh, and if I can part the Red Sea, and if I can um, provide uh, manna, and if Moses can hit the rock and water can bust out, listen, open your mouth wide and let me just fill that thing up. How about that? Look at Philippians 4, 19, oh, my God, shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God, the Father, be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that, that, that's the God that we serve. So his supply is abundant. His supply is so creative. I mean, God has so many ways to provide for us. If God can provide for us um, in the way that he provided for Elijah, just think about the endless opportunities. I mean, God has so many options. It's, it's crazy. He's, he's amazing. We just need to trust him. We just need to walk with him. Our eyes need to be on him. And he will meet our needs. Now, uh, Philippians 4.19 doesn't say that God will meet all of our wants. There's a big difference. That we may be wanting some things that, that we don't really have to have. And God never promises to meet our wants. I mean, you, you may be driving a Ford Fiesta instead of a Mercedes, but... You know what? That'll be all right. Some of us may be riding the bus, but you're going to be okay. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? You may be eating ramen noodles. There may be some seasons in your life when you're eating filet mignon at Elway's. You know, there's good times and there's some hard times. But you know what? God's with us. God's with us when it's good. God's with us when things are lean and tight. In fact, sometimes when things are, are lean and tight, we, we got to lean in and trust a little bit more. Maybe you're there today. But listen, don't be triggered by fear and anxiety because God's with you. God sometimes meets our needs instantly. Sometimes he does so slowly. Be patient. Look, look at him. So there's an eye exam. What's your focus? Is my focus my problems or, the, or my God? Here's the third one right here. Write this down. A will assessment. Who is your master? Now, <clears throat> will means like your desire or your willingness. And, and so... A big part of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6 is related to a person's will. Look what he says in verse 24. 
No one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to God and the money. You, you got to pick one. Too many people today want to stand in the middle. I want to love my stuff and I want to, I want to love my stuff with, over here and then I want to love God over here and I want to just kind of stand in the middle. Jesus says you can't do that. Either your life is going to be controlled by your own selfish desires and by your own motivations and your own ideologies, or you're going to be controlled by another master, and that's the Lord. But you can't serve both at the same time. you, you got to pick one or the other. And isn't it interesting that, that the contrast that he uses here is related to finances, to money, to wealth, because he knows how sensitive and how personal and how intimate that part of our life really is. A person's money is pretty darn close to about as sensitive as it something can get. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't want just your words. I don't want just your deeds. I want your will. I want your heart. I, I want all of you. I, I don't want just, just a piece of you or a part of you. I, I, I want it all. <clears throat> Um, the, the great theologian A.W. Tozer had some questions that he said can size up where our treasure really is. And let me share these with you. He has four of them. One, he says, what do we value the most? What do we value the most? I mean, what's the mo where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. What, what, do you, what really pumps you up? What, what do you really value? Secondly, what, what do we hate to lose? What do we hate to lose? Other things, not that big a deal. Oh, I don't want to lose that one thing. What do we hate to lose? Here's the third one. What do we think about the most? <laughs> I mean, what's really on our mind? I can't serve God and money. What do I think about the most? Number four, what affords me the most pleasure? I mean, what really gratifies me? Um, Related to this, he uses a term that is pretty powerful in verse 24 when he says, you cannot be a slave to God and to money. A lot of translations of the Bible use the word servant. And a servant is sort of like a slave, but I think slave is a harsher, more direct word, right? You, you, you slaves do serve, but all servants are not slaves. And so it, it, it's very interesting that, that, that Jesus uses this, this powerful term. And there's so many different words in the Bible that describe a follower of Jesus. I'll give you just a few. Um, we're citizens of heaven, aliens, light, lights of the world, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, members of his body, the sheep of his flock, ambassadors in his service, and friends around his table. And we're called to fight like warriors, run like athletes, and to abide like branches in a vine. And while all of those are true, the term that is used more than any of these is the term slave to refer to a person's loyalty to Christ. Now, why would such a dramatic word be used? In the ancient world, slavery was a little bit different than we know it today in the 21st century. People could be slaves from all different races, 
all different, uh, all, all different genders and all different ages. So it wasn't just one race of people. Lots of people were slaves. About a fifth of the Roman Empire at the time of the New Testament were people that were slaves. And they had all different roles. Uh, you could be a slave that was a teacher, a cook, a doctor, um, a shopkeeper. You could be a whole host of things regardless of your teaching and training. But there are two things, there's two reasons why I think Jesus uses this very dramatic term and that I want us to see so clearly. First of all is total dependence. A slave is completely dependent upon the master. Amen? Is that right? I mean, if, if the slave is going to eat, it's going to be because the master fed them. And he's completely dependent on the owner for the basic necessities of life, shelter, food, whatever it may be. Um, slavery also offered a certain amount of social and economic protection to those who, whose masters were kind and respected them. Slaves didn't have to worry about where their next meal would be or whether or not they would have a place to stay. Their sole concern was to carry out the orders of the master. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus used this term. He wants us to understand that God, as our master, is our complete provider. Everything that we have is from God. Our responsibility is not necessarily to understand all of the rules and all of the things that God has called, said for us to do. He just wants us to do them. He's the master. So there's, there's a total dependence. There's a total dependence. But look, there's also another thing that I think is so beautifully woven into this, and that is that there is one allegiance. A slave doesn't work for multiple masters. A slave has one master. There's only one. There's only one. And Jesus is saying you cannot give God part of your life. You can't have divided allegiance. You are totally allegiant to one there is no one else. Yesterday, I texted Cody Latimer. Some of you guys know Cody. Cody was the a wide receiver that played with the Broncos um, and won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. He was one of the receivers. And then a couple of seasons ago, he went over to the Giants and he just finished his second season in New York. And I was texting him as I was working on this message and it occurred to me, how weird would it have been if Cody would have showed up in New York at his first practice and he would have brought his Broncos helmet I mean, the players would have been like, come on, man, what's wrong with you? The coaches would have said, we're going to send you back to Colorado. The media, oh my goodness. They would have gone crazy on that, would they not? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine on game day, he has on a Giants jersey and a Broncos helmet. Just be weird. It would be strange, wouldn't it? And, and I know that he changed his Instagram picture. Uh, when, he, when he changed teams. And, and, and now he's got like a picture of him with the Giants uniform on. He used to have a Bronco, all that. He still has on there Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl 50, okay? He said, <laughs> but he took the Broncos off, okay? <laughs> Listen, when you, when you change teams, you have a new head coach, you have a new teammate, and you have new plays. The same is true in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the head coach, Amen. The teammates of the local church and the plays of the word of God. 
So we have a new allegiance. And Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot have a divided loyalty. You can't be on both teams. You can't play for the Broncos and the Giants. You have to pick one. What's it going to be? This way or that way? Because the Christian life is not so much about God joining me. The Christian life is about me joining God. Sometimes we get this confused. We're like, Lord, I need you to help me out with my agenda for my life. And God's like, you don't understand. Your allegiance is to, I, I'm, I'm the master. You follow me. You can't have a divided loyalty, a divided heart. Now, lest we get confused, being a slave to Christ is not just duty and obligation. When Jesus Christ comes into our life, there is abundant joy. Amen. There's forgiveness of sins. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's the, the ability to have a sound mind. I mean, oh my goodness. This is not a burden. This is an opportunity. This is amazing. The Apostle Paul's favorite Self-designation, as far as I can remember, was he called himself a slave to Christ. And, and I think he did that not just because he was, you know, trying to beat himself up. He was saying, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. But I can't serve both God and myself. I got to pick one. It's not duty. It's delight. So listen, let's don't be afraid to get those unexpected bills in the mail. Let's don't be fearful when we think about our financial status. Let's move forward in faith and total dependence upon God and the things that he has to say to us. When we do that, we'll pass the heart check, the eye exam, and the will assessment. Would you pray with me for just a moment?